You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, on today's show, we break down the Giants' big win against Washington. We talk about whether the Giants can sustain the ability to make big plays on defense, how Saquon Barkley has been used in the offense, and what these past couple of wins mean for the Giants going forward. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum, and we are coming to you after a 40 to 16. That is right, I said 40. 4-0. 40 points against Washington for the New York Giants. New York Giants are now 5-8. and eight. They were 1-7 just a couple of weeks ago. Now five and eight, feasting on some bad teams, and boy was Washington one of those bad teams. Oh yeah, that that game, the the first quarter of that game was just honestly not even fun to watch. The winning and the scoring is fun, but the the first quarter of that was just bad. <laughs> For a little bit there, I thought this was I thought this was going toward like the the, the Frank Beamer special. I, I think <laughs> a lot of us remember just kind of the image of him holding his arms up as the Virginia Tech Wake Forest game ended regulation 0-0. It looked like that's where (laughs) this game was headed and then the Giants get gifted a pick six and it kind of all all went downhill for Washington from there. Yeah I I think we can amend our assertion from last week's podcast that you can't count on being gifted turnovers and defensive touchdowns as part of your offensive production. I think you can kind of count on that when you play the quarterbacks, the giants have played the last five weeks. Yeah. I spent a, a good portion of, of last week's podcast talking about how defensive touchdowns and being gifted interceptions are not sustainable and you can count on that. But when I say things like that, that is against a normal team. That is not accounting for playing Mark Sanchez the week after that happens. And who boy, was Mark Sanchez bad in this game. I talk about QBR a bunch on this podcast and how I, I do like it as just kind of a, a single game rating. It's from 0 to 100 with 100 being the best, 50 being average. And if you look at it for a single game, it's like a win probability statistic. So your QBR is basically the percentage of the time you can expect to win the game. Mark Sanchez in this game, a 1.1 QBR. That is, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. (laughs) I'm kind of not sure you could do that if you were actually trying. I I, I almost feel bad for him. (laughs) Just... Yeah, Sanchez's like raw stat line was incredible. Six of fourteen for thirty-eight yards. That's two point seven yards per attempt. No touchdowns, two interceptions, and 
five sacks. He had five sacks on 19 dropbacks, which is a 26.3% sack rate. Whew, that, uh, I mean... Coming from the Giants' defense. Yeah, who were able to get pressure against a Washington offensive line that has been banged up, but they were able to you know, do what they had to do. <laughs> so look at it when I do my, my plays that change the game piece every uh, Monday morning after. I mean, I, I mean, I write it late Sunday night, which turns into Monday morning. Um, <laughs> I look at win probability, and in this game, there was one play that I noted. It wasn't really a, like a huge play in the game. It was a, a sack from Sean Chandler on a third and 11 with 621 remaining in the first quarter. What is notable about that play, though, it was the last time Washington had over a 50% win probability in this game. Uh, they had it before the sack. Chandler sacked Sanchez. And then Washington did not have over 50% chance to win the game since that part. And it was only, it was still nothing, nothing at that point. That's how bad Washington was to start this game. Uh, that's how bad actually both teams were to start this game, that it was still 50-50 at that point. I'm just looking at the, at the drive charts. Washington started five plays, 14 yards punt. Giants, three plays, zero yards punt. Washington, three plays, negative two yards punt. Giants, three plays, four yards punt. Washington, five plays, 10 yards punt. Giants, four plays, 34 yards. What a drive, punt. And then it's the interception for the touchdown that just kind of really completely changed the game. Washington was backed up on its own one. Sanchez ran a run pass option. Uh, He was reading a Kareem Martin who took inside of the tight end Vernon Davis who was blocking him uh, and that that read made Sanchez pass and not give it to Adrian Peterson. But when he passed, Kareem Martin's path inside took him inside the passing lane. He was able to tip it up to a Curtis Riley, who, because there was no one downfield, they ran, uh, because it was an RPO, they ran a little bubble screen on the other side of the field. So Riley was able to come over. The ball landed right in his lap, and all he, he could have walked in. He held on to it. Yeah, that, that too. Uh, We've seen him drop easy interceptions. We talked about that last week. But the ball fell right into his lap, and he was able to score. And that's, I mean, that 7-0 lead, that felt insurmountable at that point. Yeah, and then after that, the Giants finally started having plays work, I suppose we could say. The one that's going to stand out in everyone's mind is Barkley's one-play drive. And... You look at his stat line on the game. He had 14 attempts, 170 yards, 12.1 average, and a touchdown, which raw stats, that is amazing. But then two of those attempts went for 130 yards combined. Yeah. So that drops his average on the other 12 down to three and a third yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, he kind of did what... He, he did what he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he had a a very Saquon Barkley game, and I think the Giants kind of needed that because the Odell Beckham did not play in this game. He was kind of a surprise inactive a couple days before the game. His quad uh, just was a little bruised, and he wasn't going to be able to go. 
So it was clear the Giants were going to need to rely on Barkley a little more than they usually do, especially in the beginning of the game when the the passing wasn't working. And I think some of the some of the takeaways in this game, I think you're going to see that oh, it's clear the Giants now run through Barkley. I don't think that's particularly true because Beckham was not there, and I, I don't think this game is nothing nothing until the pick six. If Beckham is there, I think the Giants are able to move the ball a little more uh, if Beckham is there and there is that target there. So I think some of the, the this is Bar- this is clearly Barkley's team now is a crazy overreaction to this game, but he did play well. Continually, when he has these big games, I'll bring up his expected points added and his EPA success rate, and and sometimes those aren't as good as as the stat line is, but in this game, they were. It's 7.84 expected points added, which is great on his 14 rushes, and he had a 57% success rate, which is, for him, is incredible. Usually his success rate is around, like, 28-30% in some of these games, and he's he's losing yards uh, on some of these smaller plays, and then he has that big run, but he had the two big runs, and he was able to keep moving the ball forward on those other runs when when they needed him to but I think we if we look at these big runs he had the, had the two big runs he had the 78 yard touchdown run and then he had a 52 yarder later in the second quarter uh, on that 78 yard touchdown run I mean he was impressive for the open field speed he had but just in terms of the overall play I think that might have been the best designed and the best blocked run play the Giants have had all season so I will say very loudly that you do not want to run into eight and nine man boxes. The Giants kind of tricked Washington into doing it on that 78 yard play. They started with an eight man box. Sterling Shepard motioned in tight to the formation and that kind of turned it into a nine man box. But what the Giants did well was on that play, everyone blocked over to the right and that's where Barkley started. But then Shepard... Shepard was really the key to the play as he he came over across the formation uh, to the left and he sealed off an edge that gave a wide open hole for Barkley to bounce through and he wasn't touched for the run. I mean, we've seen Barkley do some impressive plays where he's making like four people miss. He did not need to do that on this play because he had a wide open lane. Haha, Clinton Dix uh, took a bad angle that you can't take for someone with Barkley's speed who was able to turn that on in the open field. But I think for that one, the the play itself was more impressive than what Barkley did on that play. Agreed. And Barkley is, when he is able to be an athlete, he is always impressive. But especially these last two weeks, the blocking from the say secondary blockers the wide receivers and tight ends has been really i think the most impressive thing to me like you mentioned the block by sterling Shepard. he had another big block on the 50 yard run last week it was odell beckham throwing blocks on kyle fuller and eddie jackson to get barkley the most at a 26 yard run in overtime to set up the game winning field goal those are the things that i think you need to set a guy like Barkley really free because you, even though he can, you don't want to ask him or expect him to make four or five defenders miss every play. Yeah, we've we've said that plenty of times, and on the on the fifty two yard run, I think that was a 
a better individual effort from Barkley than the 78-yarder was. Uh, but even on that play, the offensive line blocking wasn't as good. Spencer Pulley, like fell on his face, which allowed Deron <laughs> Payne to just rush right through the middle. Barkley was able to avoid him. And then on the outside, again, the, the two tight ends, Rhett Ellison and Scott Simonson were able to seal their blocks, and that gave Barkley the hole. And then... Ahaha, Clinton Dix took a better angle on that play, but Barkley was, oh my god, you guys have to, if you can, go back and rewatch that play. Barkley just sets him up with like a little false step to the outside and then cuts back in. That completely turned around Clinton Dix, and then Barkley was able to run across the field. He breaks the tackle from Josh Norman uh, and goes up for the 52-yard run. So I think that run was more individually impressive for Barkley, but still had good blocking from the skill position players. The the two blocks from the tight end was what allowed Barkley to hit the open field. So when those things are hitting, that's where the big run plays are going to be. We see when when the blocking is not good and Barkley's making the four or five guys miss, those those turns into ten yards. But when when the blocking is good uh, especially on the edges where he can get around and, and hit a hole, that's when the 50s and the, and the 60s come. And for someone like Barkley, you're going to need those because if they're going to continue to run him up the middle, we've seen those don't always work, and those are maybe one or twos. And I wrote in the offensive preview for this week that the Giants kind of have to figure out the run balance there, not the run-pass balance, but the run balance of how many short and negative yard runs they can handle waiting for that big Barkley run. And that was kind of the case here early in the game. Those, we read down the drive chart, uh, the the runs were not working early. And then they have the really well-blocked run and they get the 78-yard touchdown against probably better defenses, they're they're going to have to figure out that balance and and really work on that blocking to open up those bigger runs. Yeah, and, and that's an area where not having Odell Beckham hurts because having a guy who can basically be open even when he's covered and uncover himself more or less at will makes those negative runs and short runs a lot easier for an offense to handle and overcome you know with Beckham out I think Evan Ingram was probably the their number one receiver Shepard was targeted more but Ingram had more catches and a lot more yards but even then they didn't really use him as a Beckham replacement two of his receptions on kind of shallow crossing routes basically mesh concepts and then his one real long catch was on a short wheel from the H-back position, which is a play we've been begging to see Barkley run. But, okay, go ahead on the first mesh concept the Giants ran. Yeah, this game was so long, like, I didn't even remember. Th- I specifically tweeted about it, and I didn't even remember it until we were starting to talk about it right before we recorded. Uh, but So, uh, for those who don't know, the, the mesh concept is basically when you have one guy from each side running, basically dueling crossing routes. Uh, And what that does, that usually it can be zone or man coverage because in zone, it's going to be having two guys pass through the same zone at the same time. And against man, it's usually going to really set a pick if those two defenders are running at each other as the two crossing routes are crossing each other. Uh, But the Giants tried to run it on third and three. And 
I have no idea what happened, <laughs> but it was like the laziest, messiest mesh, and the Giants basically picked themselves. The two Washington defenders were just kind of standing there, and the Giants just like ran into the defenders. <laughs> and it, it was just part of that really sloppy, like first three quarters of the first quarter. And it, it was part of what just made the game feel like no one was ever going to score. It, it turned around, but that, that first part of the game was, was messy. And I think when you think of that takeaway that this is Barkley's team now, after the game, I just, I don't think so, because if Beckham's in there, <laughs> either he is is open somewhere, or he's running that mesh, and I, I don't think he's he's not running into a defender uh, on that concept, so he's probably getting open, and I think having, having Beckham there, I, I think we saw early how big of a key he is, because I think having someone like him on the field open stuff up for Barkley, because even on that 78-yard run when there were nine men in the box, there are not nine men in the box when Beckham is on the outside. Uh, they just, the defense cannot afford to do that. No, not, not unless Eli Manning forgets how to count. Because if you see a nine-man box and you've got Odell Beckham on the field, you know there's right, you only... check to a throw. Yeah, th- yeah. there's basically only going to be two guys in coverage and... Odell's probably got a one-on-one matchup, which is basically an automatic throw to Odell, unless for some, somehow 1992 vintage Deion Sanders is covering him. Yeah, and I, I think we saw what impact Beckham does have in the passing game here, because Eli, as much as some of his, you can look at some statistics and that were okay, he was 14 of 22, 197 yards, that's nine yards per attempt. That's great. He had three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, that's good. He had uh, two sacks, one terrible one in the red zone um, <laughs> on a on a second down where he tried to, to make a spin and, and peel out of the pocket. And Eli, you could barely do that when you were like 24. Um, <laughs> doing that at 37 uh, is not going to work. But he you know, only had a QBR of 47.6, which... You know, it was not great, and he, he missed some passes. He missed Sterling Shepard on on what should have been a touchdown, but he, he did have some nice passes. So I think as we look at Eli again, it was it was a bit of a, a mixed bag. There were some good, there were some bad, and that's kind of been Eli this year. And then without Beckham, I think some of those bad, especially at the start of the game, those stand out a little more. But luckily, I mean, again, they got those gifted interceptions. I mean, you got the gift of playing Mark Sanchez, who, who played <laughs> as poorly. <laughs> yeah, who played as poorly as an opposing quarterback could. So I, I kind of wonder if we look at the grand scheme of the game, how different those early struggles would have been if Washington was not struggling worse. Uh, if Washington had not Mark Sanchez, like literally almost they had anyone McCoy. but Mark Sanchez. I wonder how the start of that game would have played out and if the Giants would have had the opportunity to to get the ball rolling when they did because it, it took them a little bit of time for that to happen. I feel like Colt McCoy probably could have gotten their offense moving at least a little bit, which probably would have put more stress on the Giants' offense than they might have been comfortable with, especially with Odell out. Granted, Washington's offensive line was beat up, and their skill position players didn't really help Sanchez out much. They had those drops early in the game, but some of them weren't particularly well-placed passes either. And give credit to to the Giants' defense early, because they, yes. they did what they 
should do against a third-string quarterback and and a, a banged-up offensive line. They were able to get those sacks. They had sorry, they had five sacks. Two interceptions. Both off deflections. One was the Kareem Martin tip for the pick six, and then the other one went off the hands of Jameson Crowder, but that was a bit of a bounce off his hands, and, and Tay Davis was there to, to make contact as soon as the ball hit Crowder's hands, and that was the ball that bounced into Alec Ogletree, who is now seemingly, we've been talking about him, how opposing offenses were throwing the ball at him on purpose to to get him into coverage, and now the ball is just finding him regardless <laughs> of who he's covering. Um, he he doesn't even actually have to be in the area, and somehow the ball is landing in his hands off a deflection. That, that was his fifth interception of this year, and he is still overall it's, it was his fourth in four coverage. Games. Yeah, I have to say I was a little bit impressed by that interception because of how he moved to get himself in position for the ball to find him, basically. I thought he did a good job of reading the quarterback's eyes and just be making sure he was in the right place at the right time which is part of having the basically knack of being a ball hawk is putting yourself in position to be a ball hawk. So maybe the defense is starting to click a little bit for him and he's able to play a little bit faster mentally, which was, I think, our biggest criticism of him, especially before the bye week. Yeah, it was. And I mean, on that play, the Giants are just kind of the sitting in zone, there's a, just a little stack on on the right side, which is where Ogletree was. Uh, he he charged up a little bit, but once those receivers went out and past the hashes, he backed back up into into zone. the The play was thrown to the other hash, which was uh, where Crowder and Davis was. And as soon as the ball's thrown, he's he breaks over and the ball kind of falls into his lap. But yeah, that's that's a place where maybe earlier in the season he wasn't going over to where the pass was and he was just kind of going to keep his ground where he was in zone so possibly that's something i mean maybe that's something to to watch going forward because yeah he was a player where when he was in zone he was in his zone and that's where he was sticking but if maybe he's a little more comfortable now i i i don't know yeah i'll, I'll say whether he I would say probably whether he has improved in coverage or not, he's probably on the roster again because he has five interceptions this season. He's probably That's probably enough to keep him on the roster in 2019. Whether that in his overall play uh, is warranted or not, it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on going forward. But, I mean, when, when you are getting gifted these tipped interceptions, uh, you want to take advantage of them and that is what the Giants have been able to do almost in like every game since the bye we, we keep saying that those things aren't sustainable but I mean they're, they have been playing teams where those are the types of opportunities they're going to be given the Tampa Bay game you have Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick or who two of the most turnover prone quarterbacks in the league you had the game against Chicago where Chase Daniel was throwing the ball all over the place and not really two Bears players and then Washington you get Mark Sanchez I mean they're gonna 
however you feel about Marcus Mariota, when they play the Titans next week, he's going to be the best quarterback they have faced in quite some time. I mean, they had uh, Carson Wentz in Week 12, but I mean, outside of that, he's probably going back to Matt Ryan. They'll they'll have played in in a while, at least until they face Andrew Luck the next week. I think we'll learn more about especially Ogletree against those two quarterbacks. Yep, especially uh, once we get to... I mean, Tennessee doesn't use the, the tight ends quite as much as as they did, uh, but the Colts, I mean, they, they're running like 13 personnel with with three tight ends on the field all the time, and they're, they're passing from that. They can and hit Eric you Ebron with, has been tearing defenses up. Yeah, Ebron's... He's like automatic in the end zone now, and they're like... They're cycling through... Um, tight ends and just replacing them with other guys. Uh, Jack Doyle's been hurt, but they'll they'll throw another guy in. Eric Swope is a guy who I like. He was doing well at the beginning of the season, then he got hurt, then they're just throwing other guys in. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that those will be the tests that we'll see of how really this this interior coverage is doing. But then other than that, the the, the defense played well in this game because they they should have. And maybe until really the fourth quarter when Josh Johnson came in and and took over for Sanchez uh, when he was able to make some plays happen. Then I think at that point, the, the defense, I'm not really sure if they let up. They were letting some people play who, who don't play quite a bit. They had that 79-yard touchdown to, to Jameson Crowder. He was able to, to beat Grant Haley on a crossing route, but then as he turns the sideline, that was Cameron Moore was playing safety. He took a bad angle and hesitated, uh, but that's not something the Giants really need to worry about long-term because Cameron Moore is not a guy who is going to be in that position very often. No, no. Yeah, I. The defense annoyed me in the fourth quarter. I I absolutely acknowledge that they got thrown a curveball by Josh Johnson being out there and actually being able to run with his legs, change the throwing angles and passing lanes and actually being able to run the option and all of that. And that is a pretty big change from Mark Sanchez. Yeah, to me, I think that's the biggest takeaway of what happened in the fourth quarter. I think we saw the flaw of how many teams that want to have like a generic carbon copy version of their starter being the backup. And that's what happens. I mean, Colt McCoy was that to Alex Smith. And then you get to a third version of that. And that's why you (laughs) sign Mark Sanchez. And I think you can see the flaw there because then you just get progressively worse at the same thing. But I think if you bring in a guy like Josh Johnson, and I'm going to say because it's Washington, like that's the crazy reason to like, why aren't you bringing in Colin Kaepernick? I mean, we know why, but it's, it's the reason why you should bring in someone like that. Because if you have a guy like Josh Johnson, you have, I mean, Josh Johnson is not good, but he looked like a freaking superstar after what Sanchez did because he's able to move the pocket more. Uh, He's able to create a little bit more for himself. You have teams who say, we don't want to change the playbook, but clearly Johnson opened up the playbook. Yeah, because they were they were they ran an option play with Josh Johnson. Like so obviously that was in the playbook at some point. That wasn't something they were ever gonna run with Mark Sanchez. It was probably in for uh, Alex Smith. Probably was for Alex Smith. So again, you're you're saying you don't want to change the playbook, but you have a guy with Smith who who does have those types of option plays and 
to say it, Colin Kaepernick has filled in for Alex Smith before. So, <laughs> and I don't want to focus on Kaepernick and Washington. This is kind of an overall, like, league-wide trend of how so many want to approach their backup position. And I just, I think it's flawed. You want to bring in a guy like Johnson, who, again, is not particularly good, but he can do some things that a guy like Mark Sanchez, who's, like, your ninth option of who you would <laughs> ideally want to sign— he brings something else to the table. He had the rushing touchdown as his first touchdown. That's not something uh, other statues in in the pocket uh, are going to bring you. So I think having someone who is different like Josh Johnson is is what you want in the type of backup because it does give a change of pace. Yeah, it, it gives the defense something to several things to worry about that they might not have prepared for. And if your backup's in because something bad has happened, which is probably why your backup's in. Although we also saw the Giants put their own backup in and have bad things happen. Having a guy who presents that those other dimensions that a defense has to worry about but might not have spent a whole lot of time working on that week, th- that's an advantage. Yeah, it is. And I think we saw that is the type of advantage that a guy like Johnson or of his skill set can bring. So while we're on backup quarterbacks, I think let's end with what a lot of people have wanted to see for quite some time. And that was Kyle Walletta getting snaps in a game. I'm not sure if the people who wanted to see that saw what they wanted with Walletta's <laughs> five passes, but we did see there was an opportunity to get Lawletta on the field, and they did. And I think people who are expecting Lawletta to get this time and improve himself as the heir apparent to Eli, I think that's, first of all, flawed in many ways. Uh, one, I don't think we'll be able to learn enough from Lawletta, regardless of how well or poorly he plays over you know, four or five games at the end of the season to make any proclamations about what he can be as an NFL quarterback, but also to say more of what he can be as an NFL quarterback. He's a fourth round pick. Um, You should not expect these guys to come in and be able to challenge as starters. The guys who are drafted in that area, I think we we talked about this a little bit on, on our college podcast. The guys who come in from that area of the draft and are able to produce are guys who are overlooked for a certain reason uh, because they're small or they went to like a smaller school. They're not guys who are fourth round talents who who come in and, and are able to produce. So while well, that did get his first action though, but 0 for 5 and one and interception. interception. Probably should have been 3. Yeah. So he threw the one interception, which w- was a terrible pass. He didn't see a linebacker who he should have seen and just threw it right to him. Um, he had another pass to Evan Ingram that was into like tight double coverage that probably should have been intercepted. His his opportunities to throw were not really in his favor. There were a lot of second and longs. He, I think at least three I think three of his five throws uh, were on third down so that's when the Washington defense was really expecting him to throw and it didn't help that they took Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard off of the field basically two of their three best off skill position players were not on the field so he was behind the eight ball a little bit there anyway yeah so I think it's in in one in the in the grand sense it's good 
to see that Loretta was on the field. I don't know how much we learned from this game. I don't know how much we'll really learn about him going forward. Uh, but I think the fact he was on the field it maybe means the Giants are thinking about what that means going forward. So... I know, and I completely regretted this, like, as soon as I put it up and and it, like, got retweeted all over the place, was the, the crazy ways the Giants could win the division. I posted that last week. So many things had to go right with, with Dallas beating Philly. On Sunday, the Giants are now out of the NFC East picture. I think they still have the most the most minuscule chance at a wild card. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So uh, clearly, the Giants are now thinking about 2019, and that's what I think putting Loletta in there does mean, and it helps that this was a huge blowout. Maybe we'll see more of him, uh, but who knows how that's going to go forward. I I wouldn't count on it. I think the only way you see Loletta on on the field again is in a blowout. Because I think if they feel like they have the chance to end the season on a strong note, they're going to stick with Eli. Yeah, and that's... Oh, all right. What a downer to end this on. Um, <laughs> you know what? But I, They have a I, chance to end the season on a strong note. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. And I would say coming here now after week 14, there is a stronger possibility than I would have thought in week one that Eli Manning is on this roster in 2019. So... Especially now as, you know, they keep beating up these bad opponents, and, and but that's what you want to see, you know, I'm not going to say a, a good team, but you want to see a team do is beat up on a bad opponent. That is what good teams do. I think you, you can somewhat tell more about, about teams, not in close games they play against average or against teams of, of the same caliber. Those, I don't, don't think, tell you as much as a blowing out a worse opponent does. That that tells you more about a team because that's that's what you're supposed to do. So as the Giants keep winning, the draft position falls. They're not in the place to select a quarterback. So so we might see. So over the next the couple games, well, we're I think we're going to see what the 2019 plan for a quarterback might be. Whether that is Eli Manning, uh, I'm not going to do say that would be the right decision, uh, but I do think that is a more realistic possibility than I would have seen even even at the bye week. Yeah, they, who they are right now might be a, might be something of a mirage. It might be feasting on bad opponents, which, as you said, that's what you want to see your team do. But, you know, it's going to have some lasting effects. And how they wind up looking and planning for next year. Yeah, and I mean, boy, again, it's sad that they're going to probably take these next couple of games and weight them way more than they did the beginning of the season because I think those beginning of the season games should matter. And momentum is not really a thing, especially at the end of the season carrying over into another season. It's, it's not a thing. Being good over like the second half of the season does not mean you're going to start the next season well there's been plenty of studies that that show there's nothing that translates in that specific case from year to year but the next three games on the schedule are probably going to weight heavily in the minds of of Dave Gettleman, Pat Shermer, uh, John Mara 
of, of what happens. Uh, but the Giants will be playing better teams over those three games. I mean, Tennessee, I will continue to say it. Who knows what they're, they are from week to week. Indianapolis is playing well. Indianapolis is a good team. And then they end the season against Dallas, uh, who is playing much better than they were earlier in the season. So this three-game stretch here that's coming up, is, I think, is going to be very big for the Giants' 2019 season. And, and these wins that they have been putting up over the past couple games, I think, are, are going to be in the minds of whoever is going to be making the decisions and, and what those decisions are. And putting up a 40-16 to 16 win over a Washington team, even that is banged up with Mark Sanchez's quarterback— I, I, I don't know if they're going to really put the context around that or just say, hey, that was a good team win. Eli was the quarterback. Alec Ogletree had the interception and, and all of those other things. I, I don't know how much that is going to color those decisions going forward, but I think this, it's a big three-game stretch coming up, coming off of this win. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how much we can add to that. I, I'm sure we could probably spend a whole nother show talking about the process and processes that have been used and will be used to build this team. In fact, we probably should spend a whole show talking about that. Yeah, we have done that, and we we will do that as, as we get probably to the end of the regular season and as we have to uh, fill shows afterward. <laughs> oh, th- that, I can guarantee that that will be a topic of discussion. Oh, definitely. But for this episode, we can end there You can subscribe to this podcast if you have not anywhere you find your podcast. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Uh, Please read our work at BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Ed will be here during the week with his Valentine's Views podcast. Uh, we will be back at the end of the week doing our college football and draft show. There's not going to be a lot of college football to talk about, so we'll probably be talking about the draft a bit more and going into our positional uh, previews. If you have not listened to those, we have we have a couple of episodes uh, we've looked at. If you haven't listened to the quarterback episode we did a while ago with Mark Schofield, absolutely go back and listen to that. But we've broken down offensive line, edge, uh, corner, safety, positions the Giants are probably going to be looking at in this draft. Uh, So we'll be back on Friday with that episode. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. 
It's no wonder the Fundrise Flagship Fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash Flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.